Hi, my name's Dawn Walton and I'm a therapist at Think It Change It. And I'm sitting in my car recording this in Camperdown Park in Dundee. And it's raining, so any weird noise you can hear in the background, that's the rain. It might get heavier. Um, so I'm not doing so well, am I, at the moment at recording these fairly regularly. Uh, my apologies. There are new and exciting things coming in Series 2, though. Um, I'm starting a podcast with a dog behaviour friend of mine called Jess, and this will be called Therapy Tales, tales like on a dog's tail. Jess and I have known each other for a while, and we love to compare dog and human psychology, and she does lots of work in helping owners with their dogs, and that requires understanding human psychology. So I now go on regular walks with her where she helps other dog owners with their dogs, socialising them with her pack of dogs. And we have lots of great conversations. And we got to the point where we were like, oh, we should really record these conversations. So we're going to. So we're going to start a series of conversations between Jess and I that usually will happen in Starbucks. So we expect lots of background noise and uh, lots of interesting topics we covered. We did record one yesterday, a 15-minute podcast yesterday we recorded. But somebody, <laughs> mentioning no name Dawn, um, forgot to switch the microphone on. <laughs> so I went to upload it to the cloud and realised there was absolutely no noise whatsoever. So that was interesting. So we'll try again today. So today's podcast, uh, I, I've been bouncing around a whole bunch of sub subjects. I know any of you who are regular listeners will know that I've been working through my own stuff. And I'm afraid I'm not in a position to be able to share where I'm up to yet because... I am making quite significant progress, but I'm also falling over lots of um, really significant things. And so I haven't been able to do that thing that I do where I learn from it, form it into something and can share it with you guys. But I will do as soon as I'm there. I'm not in that bad a place. It's just um, I'm probably in a I don't know, the best way of describing it is I'm, I'm trying to work through some identity issues and they're far deeper than any specific event type issues. So yes, I will give you an update. But today I, I was thinking about one of the side effects that happens when you uh, experience childhood trauma. And this is about weight. Now, um, women particularly experience a lot of judgment from when they're girls right through growing up about weight if you go to the doctor as a woman the first thing they'll do is talk about your weight the second thing they'll do is talk about your periods by the way you could have your arm falling off and they tell you to lose weight i mean it really gets to to kind of a crazy level um and and there's this kind of concept and we've talked about it in a previous episode of the podcast about weight being a factor of what you eat versus what you do and it's just simply not true it is not true at all. Weight is the biggest, and the biggest thing that affects weight is metabolic threshold, which is the way your brain interprets its need to process the food that you eat. And it's doing this based on the very primitive caveman things that we've talked about, which is what do I need to do to survive? So one of the things that happens and one of the things our bodies are geared towards is how to adapt to living in an unsafe environment. So let's say you camp next to a pack of saber-toothed tigers, for example. Then at any point, you could be at risk. That means you're 
your body and the way it works and all that sort of stuff has to change to adapt to being in an unsafe environment. So cortisol is flooding through your body, which is the stress hormone. But one of the things that cortisol does is it kind of looks at what is the best survival strategy that you need. So, for example, you might need to run away at any given point in time, which means you need a burst of energy. You're kind of like a can of Red Bull. Right? So what your cortisol does is it takes the fat that it's gathering from the food that you're eating and not burning up into calories and it stores it around the organs that are going to need that burst of energy which basically are the organs that sit around the middle of your body, which is why fat goes on around the middle of your body, because that's where you need to store it so that if you need a sudden burst of energy, you can access the fat and run away. So that that's a factor, not of what you eat, but of what your brain thinks about your environment. If you're a child that experiences a difficult childhood and it doesn't even have to be traumatic because trauma is such a uh, kind of contentious word isn't it everybody's got their own definitions and and we've talked in an episode about what my definitions are but but for now let's just talk about tough times right let's just talk about a rubbish childhood so in any sort of rubbish childhood whether you've got um, a parent that is suffering from um, depression maybe a parent that's suicidal, maybe a parent that has incredibly low self-esteem and uses you to make themselves feel better, so you're always worried about saying the wrong thing. Maybe you have physical violence, maybe you have other sorts of a violence, and, and you know, I don't want to make this too triggering, so I'm, I'm not going to go into talking about anything like that, but, but just basically anything that means that as a child growing up, you couldn't just be a kid. You couldn't feel loved, nurtured and safe. You felt unsafe. Now, if a situation happens as an adult where you feel unsafe, you go into the unsafe state and then you come back out of it again when it's changed. But if it happens as a child, what happens is you stay in that state. It's not reset because it's got nothing to reset to. So that's all you've known. So all your body knows is how to be in that unsafe state, which means you are permanently working differently with food, working differently with pain, working differently with virus and disease and things like that. Because, you know, if you're being attacked by a tiger, you can't exactly stop and go, I got a cold. Could you come back tomorrow when I'm feeling a bit better? You know, that that's not a priority. What's a priority is pain. You know, if I stand on a sharp rock, I can't stop and go, ouch. Or, but when I stop, if I've been chased by a tiger and I've got a cut on my leg, I need to know about it. I need to, um, address it and, and fix it and, and give all my resources to that. So everything's messed up. As a child, I kind of had all of these markers. So um, my stepmother hated us. I think she hated all kids from the sound of it. She was an alcoholic and she had some serious issues. Um, and she had uncontrollable rage and she was incredibly demeaning in the use of language. You know, you're a hateful little shit. You know, nobody's going to love you, all of this sort of stuff. So that's an unsafe environment. At any point we could be hit. And I tried all the time to watch out like you do to make sure that I didn't make a cross. But actually, she wasn't cross at me. She was just losing it. So and she wasn't saying those things to me. She was just saying those vitriolic words because that was what was going on in her head. And it wasn't a very nice place. But I didn't know that. So as a young child, aged four and upwards, I was doing my best 
to be able to not get in trouble, to not make her cross. That means from that age already, my mind and body were adjusting to at any given moment, anything could happen. Now you combine that with the fact that for me and my brother, certainly she, she neglected that she didn't want us around. So we were left outside as much as she could leave us outside and we were, we weren't fed enough. She couldn't be bothered feeding us. It wasn't that we couldn't afford it. She just couldn't be bothered. So I, from kind of a young age, from four and upwards and, and before four, by the way, loved, nurtured everything fantastic, um, which obviously has set me up for life. But from that point onwards, I was in an unsafe environment in countless different ways. There wasn't available resources for food. I never learned how to listen to my mind-body connection because I never had enough food to know what it felt like to be full. Which combined with what happened later with my stepfather where, you know, I learned my body was the enemy. Then by the time I hit 18 years old, I had a bit of a problem. I had a bit of a problem because on multiple levels, I was in an unsafe environment, I had a body that was my enemy, and my metabolic threshold was totally messed up. I hadn't listened to my mind-body connection at all, and, and so I'd been fluctuating with weight, something rotten. And, and it was always going to be a problem, because nothing I could do in terms of what I eat, unless it was really extreme, would affect my weight. So the only way I've ever been able to lose weight was be to do extreme exercise, like, you know, training for the London Marathon, um, whilst at the same time doing something like um, low-carb. I did low-carb diet for two years when it first came out, um, and I went running every day, and so I lost, I lost weight. But um, as things went on, you know, you'd put it back on again. The minute I stopped doing such an intense exercise slash um, eating kind of regime, it all went back on again. And so I've struggled my whole life with weight going off, weight going on, weight going off, weight going on, until um, I came across uh, MP3 from a cognitive hypnotherapist who actually was the guy who changed my life. And that um, reprogrammed my mind-body connection. So that allowed me, for the first time ever in my life, to be able to hear my full signals, to be able to stop when I'd had enough, to be able to eat what was nutritious for me. And everything changed in my eating. But everything changed in my eating at the same time as I was training for the London Marathon. And so I lost a load of weight. Of course I lost a load of weight. Why wouldn't you? You know, there was a reset that had happened, all sorts of things that had changed. And I was doing this really intense exercise. But the problem with the London Marathon was you had to carb up, right, for long runs and things like that. You had to override what your body was telling you and deliberately eat. And so I would do that. And then it overrode the overriding <laughs> I'd done and everything got screwed up. So um, I guess I guess the point that I'm getting to is that my mind-body connection is not as simple as what I eat versus what I do. These days I eat far, far less far, far less than I ever have in my life. And I have a far more natural relationship with food and my weight is the biggest I've ever been. Last year, I got a new Apple Watch and I it came with this Apple Fitness Plus. For six months last year, 
I did at least 30 minutes of exercise a day. Exercise measured by the Apple Watch, measured by your heart rate going over a certain amount for a certain period of time, right? For six months last year, and it made no difference to my size. No difference to my size. Can you believe that? That's physically impossible. In frustration a few years ago, I decided to just not eat all day. I would have a latte, so there was some nutrition in that. I would drink, but for three weeks, I didn't eat anything other than have my latte and have my drinks. I didn't lose. I didn't disappear. Because <laughs> my brain is so used to compensating. It will do whatever it's need, needed to survive. And I can't override that. And so when you kind of look at people and you're like, you, you know, there's this kind of assumption that they're not managing themselves and not controlling themselves. It's not that simple. I cannot stress enough how it's not that simple. Your brain decides what to do with the food and the exercise that you do. Your brain decides that. So you could be with friends with somebody who seems to eat lots, lots more than you. Genuinely eats lots, lots more than you. But is kind of half your size. Because there's this metabolic threshold. And we need to stop judging people and measuring them on the way they look. And let's face it, what are we going to end up with? Everybody of this standard size, this standard shape and size. You're never going to have that. Everybody's always going to be standard, you know, variable sizes and shapes. And by the way, if it was a conscious choice, if it was a deliberate conscious choice, if you really were able to choose, then nobody would ever have a weight problem. Because I'm telling you now, it makes you miserable. <laughs> it makes you miserable to not fit into the clothes you want to fit in or to see a photograph and go, that's not me. The me in my head is nothing like the me that I see in my videos and photographs. I don't know who that person is, but that's because I'm fighting myself all the time. Everything I do is countered and it can get incredibly frustrating. And there've been times where I've just gone, well, I just need to be happy with who I am, right? You know, that standard thing. Let's be happy with who I am. What's it matter? I don't actually care what people think, by the way. It's not about what people think. It's about the clothes. It's about fitting into clothes. Very few people want to lose weight so they can take the scales down the high street, throw them on the floor and go, ta-da, what time I try weight? People want to lose weight because they want to feel better about themselves. They want to buy something off the shelf in the shop, whatever. So it's not about that. But the thing is that every time I look in the mirror, every time I see a photograph, there is a stark reminder to me that I there is something else going on. It takes me back to my past. It takes me back to the stuff that happened. It feels like I'm out of control of my body and my body is the enemy. And so when I was doing that exercise for six months and doing it daily, I was I was beating myself. I was conquering my body. I didn't want to do it most of the time. I'm not really a big fan of exercise, not just for the sake of it. I like I like doing things like walking and playing squash and stuff like that, but I don't like exercise just for the sake of it. But I was conquering myself and it was it was an unhealthy way to approach exercise. I wasn't doing it for my well-being. I wasn't doing it to make myself feel better. I was doing it to prove that I had dominance over my body. And so that's what I want. I just kind of want us to be a little bit more open and a little bit less judgmental of people's size and shape because it is not what you know the guy who invented calories it was some like arbitrary measure. And, and the calories in food are often wrong because you're, you burn different types of food in different ways, but it doesn't recognize that. You know, so there's lots of flaws in the definition of calories and measures. 
So what we eat is not as simple as what we eat versus what we do. It just isn't. There's too many other factors that can override it and get in the way. And they can be changed, by the way. All of those factors can be changed because you can be made to feel safe because it's not true that you're not safe. There are no tigers. And whatever happened in your past is not happening right now. So you are safe. You are fine. But your brain isn't recognizing it. So we can always do something to change that. The one thing I haven't worked out is how to set the metabolic threshold back down again. So if you think of it like, um, you know, you get these rain meters, which are basically a jar that collects rain. And as the rain level rises, the water level rises, it kind of moves a marker up. And then obviously, naturally, if you've got water in a jar, it kind of dissolves over time. Or what's, <laughs> That's not the right word, but anyway. Um, but the marker stays where it was, so you can see the maximum level that it reached. And that's um, what, for me, the metabolic rate, that's how it works. So what happens with the metabolic rate is it goes up and up and up according to your environment. But when your environment changes, it doesn't necessarily go down again. And you combine that with the fact that fat cells are the longest lasting cells in our body. They last about 10 years plus, um, which means that they just shrink when you lose weight and they can reinflate really quickly afterwards. So um, especially if you've had childhood stuff, you've got this metabolic rate that's kind of falsely set too high. And then even if lots of things changes later in life, it doesn't kind of change it, which is why for me, in order to change my size, I have to do 10 times more exercise, eat massively less amount of food, which actually is not sustainable as a life choice. It's not good for me either, to be honest, but it's not sustainable as a life choice. So if you have to do extreme things to lose weight, then maybe what you need to do is stop and think and go, right, why does my brain think I need to have the weight on? Because it will have a reason. And maybe instead of just doing another extreme diet, that at some point you will have to, you will have a break from, or extreme exercise, which at some point you'll get an injury and you won't be able to do it anymore. How's that going to make you feel? Maybe now is the time to just address the head stuff. Get it to stand down. Allow it to see you're safe. Because you are. You're safe. You're fine. You're here. <laughs> you know, there's no tigers. This is another runty podcast. Isn't it? <laughs> the last podcast was runty. And this one's runty. I am really sorry. I am doing lots of runty podcasts at the moment. But it's really frustrating for me. I could be totally happy with myself. I mean, not now because I'm working through some stuff. But before my mother died, I kind of reached the point. Everything was good. And I was just like, I need to accept the status quo. But I had this problem that the physical me did not match the internal me in any way, shape or form. And it was just like a slap in the face every time I saw a photo or I, I saw, I looked in the mirror or I saw a video. I'm just like, who is that? That is not me. And it's my brain saying, ah, you're not okay. You think you're okay, but you're not okay because I'm still holding on to this stuff. And so I, I never could totally accept it. And I know that things will change. I have in my life. You know, I had a therapy session and the day after I just didn't want to run anymore. Now, before that, I'd get up and I'd go for a run. And I, even though I wasn't that keen, I'd just motivate. I managed to motivate myself. After the therapy session, I was like, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not going to do it. So I've had, I've had sessions where everything's changed after them, where I've not wanted to eat stuff or rubbish or whatever. And sessions where I've wanted to do more. And it, it with one session, I can feel and experience so much change. I just haven't found the thing yet. 
And now, to be honest with you, with everything I'm working through, I totally get why I haven't found the thing yet. I have um, some pretty serious identity issues, some pretty serious self-image issues um, that are nothing to do with worrying what other people think and just to do with the way I define myself. And I can see why it has not been okay to let go of that stuff yet. So I'm excited <laughs> for when I find that thing that changes everything because I haven't found it yet and I'm really getting fed up with this. But just stop being so hard on yourself. The world will tell you, the doctors will tell you, the magazines will tell you, the TV will tell you, all of these people will tell you that you have to be slim and this kind of ideal image to be healthy and okay. It's, it's just twaddle. You know, we don't live in a made-up world of, of TV and books and things like that. Everybody's different. That's okay. You know, you can be perfectly okay at the size you are. It doesn't mean you're automatically unhealthy or all of these things. If you're okay, you're okay. You know, so if you're not, get help. I can help you. Somebody else can help you. Don't accept the status quo. Don't accept what other people say. They just talk from their own perceptions, their own judgment. And they don't get how childhood adversity, trauma, and life events mess up. And I was using the polite words there because I was just going to say the rude words. <laughs> mess up your, your system, your natural balance. And it doesn't just automatically come back. You have to feel safe to be in natural balance. I'll speak to you again soon. I think the next podcast you'll be hearing will be me and Jess talking about humans and dogs and all things related.